Welcome back, guys, to the Bear and Scully podcast with me, Sean Scullion, a.k.a. Scully, Owen Mal, a.k.a. The Bear, Aiden the Face Radio behind the scenes, and today we're joined with Deidre McGuire. Welcome to the show, Deidre. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. You both have beautiful smiles. Well, thank you. Well, thank thank you. you. Owen's been working on his... I, <laughs> believe it or not, I've been working on it. <laughs> He's been working on his Everyone tan, Everyone says, too. that growl of his, so now it's nice to be complimented. No, no, it's time. your laugh. Sean? Hey, there was a certain lady come on the show. Well, she wasn't on the show. She was along with another person that was on the show. And she walked through the door and the first thing she said was, can you laugh for me? Uh. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, will, he will never live it down. You know, do you know when something happens, right? People have groups of friends that build them up. Well, yeah. my friends, they <laughs> love to rip the shit out of me. Uh-huh. So... When things happen, and, and she said that, and I was standing laughing, I was like, oh, I will pay for this one later. <laughs> Not one when, bit. I said, when oh, Sean, you have a great laugh. You have a great laugh. <laughs> Sean walked in after the podcast and he goes, let me hear you laugh. <laughs> 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 but thank you very much for coming on today. Not it's a slightly different tone of the podcast today, guys. Deirdre is, uh, how, you're a counsellor, but you're, you're, not just a pigeonhole someone you've wrote books you're an author you mm-hmm. you self-help you help people with stress and uh well i'm not going to tell you what to do you're going to tell us what to do but just tell uh just let people know what's coming up we're, we're going to talk about dealing with dealing with stress mm-hmm. life stresses identifying and we keys and and are you going to give us wee snippets we we go nuggets on how we can uh we can not fly off the handle Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't describe myself as a counsellor. I love the counsellors and they're all doing great work. Um, I've been through counselling myself back way back in the day. But uh, for me today, um, what I say is that my I describe myself as um, a mind wellness specialist, world class mind wellness specialist. Might as well. Blow your own never trumpet. sell yourself short. <laughs> no, Sean no. will tell you I have never under undersold myself yet. <laughs> well, that, uh, that I have learned how to do that. Uh, I have learned how to uh, own who I am, and my personal journey has become my professional passion. So I'm very good at what I do, and the reason I'm very good at what I do is because I had to get good because I was my own toughest client. I was my first client and I was the toughest one. And so I believe that that's what helps me to be good today. So I describe myself as a world-class mind wellness specialist. Um, I am an author. I've written a book and I'm writing a second book and uh, I'm a speaker. As my mother says, Deirdre's finally getting paid for what she does all the time. I'm very good at talking. And uh, so uh, but what I want to do, what my intention is, what my mission is, is to to show people that there is another way that um, you can, if you're stuck, trapped, caught in thinking that isn't serving you, that you can actually change it and have a better life in, in you know, you know, my what is the talk about your elevator pitch? And my elevator pitch is that I help people get happier. I show them how to see, then change the patterns of thinking that are blocking their emotional intelligence and blinding them from who they really are. 
And uh, when you get a handle on this, as I have done, you know, my life's not without challenges, but I know how to... I know how to shift it, to change it, to change my perception of whatever the problem is. And I'll tell you about that, you know, how to solve those problems. Um, and what you, what you learn is how to actually, you know, deal with a situation that you have tools in your toolkit. You have skills and tools that help you to really manage, you know, whatever is going to happen. Because what's wrong is always available. Okay, what's wrong is always available. So it's not what's happening, it's how you perceive what's happening. And when you get that and you realise, I can actually change this, knowing that is one thing. You know, that's emotional intelligence. The other part of it and the critical part of it is emotional fitness. So... If you think about, I know how to get fit, I know how to do setups, I know how to go to the gym, I know how, I know what I know what I need to do, that's step one. But step two is actually implementing it. And that's where you get emotional fitness. I have challenges going on, personal challenges going on right now at the minute. But because I know how to redirect my thinking, park it over there instead of over there, then the quality of my day-to-day -day living is better. And yeah, I was driving up this morning and pea soup, thick fog and, um, you, you know, Robert, the producer of U105, he called me and he said, Dearie, will you uh, talk for us? I need you to, I was talking about um, should uh, people be allowed to drink alcohol on a plane? And back in the day, uh, I was an air stewardess. You know, I would have done the exits and 30,000 feet and all of that kind of stuff. And so he, he said to me, will you have a wee chat about that? And and I did. Now, what did I do? I was able to pull into the side of the road, figure out the time, think, yes, I can still be there on time and I can do this and I can manage this. So that was something that just came out of the blue and I was able to handle it and deal with it. The person that I was, oh my God, the person that I was, 15 years ago, basket case. I would have had to phone you. I would have had to ask permission. I would have had to um, uh, figure out, get a, out a book and write notes and, and get it all and get everything perfect. And thank God that is not who I am today. Today I have, you know, I have an ease in life. I have a flow in life that I'm okay. I'm safe and that life can actually be good. And uh, that's what I want to share with other people, that there is another way. So now you know I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best intro I've ever heard. <laughs> Do you want to hear a bit about me? <laughs> well, just to go back then to saying that you were your first client and your toughest client. Mm. So back then, was there unhappy times? So you, you're, you want to make people happy. Yeah, make yeah. them feel happy and make them feel good at themselves. Going back then, was there unhappy times that made you feel that, right, look, you want to start trying yeah. to figure out what's going on? Yeah. Um, well, I don't I don't make people happy. We make ourselves. We are taking responsibility for ourselves. So I show people how they can be happy, but I can't make people happy. And that's actually a really good intro and a segue into 
what my life was like before. So um, 22 years ago, uh, my darling father uh, took his own life. Okay, so um, I had made it my mission uh, to save my dad. I loved him very much. Um, if I put it all in context, I'm the eldest of five children. Uh, my father uh, had lots of boxes ticked. He was um, he'd started with nothing. My mother and he started a business. Um, he had had several businesses in at different times. He was always a worker. He was always looking for something uh, to improve his life. And he loved us very much, and he wanted the best for us. Um, but he had hurts and pains from the past that he couldn't manage no matter how hard he worked no matter how much money he made no matter how successful he was no matter um you know how much we all loved him no matter how much he was loved by other people um it it, it was never enough he couldn't he couldn't stop of course i didn't know any of this at the time because this is the thing you we normalize everything it's just normal that our house was a wee bit chaotic to say the least um, um, and interestingly, I, it's funny the way my mind checks if it's okay to say it. My mind still checks. My parents are both dead now and my mind still checks. Is it okay? You know, there's a misguided loyalty that if I say something about the family, that I am letting the family down, that I'm letting myself down. I, you know, I just had a flash in my mind. I could see my father, you know. It's, it's, it's so interesting when you know how the mind works and you can see it and you can see the patterns of thinking that are referencing, you know, be careful now, be careful what you say. And this singularly is what kills people. This is why people take their own lives. I was talking to a girl the other day. She contacted me and we had a conversation and it was so, so, it's so interesting. Um. So I'll back up a wee bit. People ask me, you know, what was the lowest point? And I, if I was doing my talk, I, you know, I'll say, you know, when I got the phone call to say my father was dead, that was the lowest point in my life. But it actually wasn't. It was one of the lowest ones. But where the lowest point actually came in was three years before that. Like my father didn't just show up and say, I'm going to kill myself today. You know, if we, you know, put it all into context of what it was like before that and what led to that, where that was ultimately the only solution that he had. Um, so, like I say, my father had, his father had left when he was um, 12. He adored his father. His father left to go to work in England and didn't come home. And uh, so you can imagine what it's like at 12 years of age for a young boy to have a father he adored and he just disappears and doesn't come back. So my father actually became the surrogate spouse. This is what happens, uh, where he took over and he became the father. So then he worked and worked and worked to take care of his uh, brothers and sisters. And my grandmother uh, was a very religious. So religion was the answer. So just pray and pray and pray and pray. And that's not really conducive to expanded living. Um, so this is what life was like for him. So um, so fast forward, he meets my mum. They, they set up together. They're both very ambitious for a better life. You know, my mother was the eldest of 10. She uh, wanted to be educated. She wanted to be a teacher. 
and she had all these aspirations, but no, she had to stay at home to look after the other children while her mother went to work. Um, my grandmother was pregnant with her, so you can imagine all that. You know, when when you really start, and this is what I teach people now, find out all of that to see what you come into. You know, it's, it's kind of like then I landed into that and it's like, it's like walking into a film in the middle of it. You know, you're going, who are the characters? Well, she doesn't talk about that and he doesn't. I never heard my father mention his father. Imagine that you never, ever talked about your father. So this man who was, you know, when you're a wee baby, these people are 12 foot giants. So you're looking at them and you're looking to them to to find out how to live your life. So, but you don't know any of this. So you're looking at these 12 foot giants and when something goes wrong, so they do something that isn't correct or for whatever reason, what automatically happens is they are the giants. They have the power. So they can't be wrong. So it must be me. So we internalize it and we say, now it's me. I'm wrong. So I'm fundamentally a mistake or I am, you know, it's always my fault. And this is how we do it. And um, so when my father, um, I was working with him, they had a family business. I had a whole other story that I had been to university. I got my degree. I qualified as a teacher. I wanted to teach, but I didn't, I didn't fit in to the, I know now why I didn't fit in to the teaching system, but I didn't fit into it. So I am, um, what age am I? I'm probably about 35 and um, I am working on a daily basis with my father and my mother and my brother in a family business, a successful furniture business. And, but my father's life is becoming more and more unmanageable. And I'm watching him self-destruct in front of me with what is this? What is going on? Why is my father? So ultimately he, he was using alcohol. So he was, you know, he had all the other boxes ticked, but none of those were working. So now he was starting to use alcohol and, you know, in the end it got to, he couldn't go a day without taking a drink. And like I say, I had made it my mission to save him. So I eventually found got him to go to an AA meeting. And I remember when he finally conceded and said, I'll go to a meeting. And I phoned AA and I got speaking to Pat and I said, right now, and if you've, if you've lived in this world, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, you want the best of everything. So I said to Pat, and I want a good meeting. I want a good one. When I think back on it now, and Pat was so kind, and uh, he said, okay, Deirdre, there's a good one on the Lisburn Road. I'll meet you at the Lisburn Road. So um, we drove up and uh, we got to the meeting. And I was I met Pat, lovely young man, beautifully, impeccably groomed, lovely leather jacket on, nice beard when nobody had beards. And he was so I always remember that picture in my mind because he was he represented hope to me. I didn't know it at the time. So there he is. And he says, right, he was going to sort it for me. I thought, Thank God I'll get this thing sorted. So um, I said, right, where do we go? And he said, not you, Deirdre. And I went, no, no, 
where am I going to get this? And he said, no, he said, it's just your dad. And I said, no, I said, you don't understand. Um, you need me in there because I know what he's going to tell you, but I'll tell you the truth. OK, when I think about it now, I'll tell you the truth, because in my mind at that point, I felt so alone. I'm actually getting emotional talking about it. Uh, the feeling is you're you're utterly alone. Nobody understands what it's like to love someone, to put up with the crap and all the shit that comes with alcohol abuse. Uh, I choose not to say alcoholism today. And uh, so anyway, he said, dearie. You go up the road and you get a wee cup of tea and I'll see you at 10 o'clock. And I went, OK, right. So daddy went in, he took daddy in. And I remember having the thought, isn't that a queer thing? This is all going to be sorted by 10 o'clock. That is an indicator of where my thinking was. And, and this is what happens. I now know how the mind works, that, you know, we forget we forget what it was like. You know, we say everything's better now, but it just feels normal. This feels normal now. But you forget how bad it was. So anyway, um, I went up the road with my brother. Had a, um, I couldn't take a cup of tea. I was as high as if I was on heroin. I remember that feeling, thinking, oh, that is it. It's going to be sorted. Great, great, great. So come back down the road at 10 o'clock. There's my father outside the meeting. There's a group of people. Pat's there. <clears throat> my father's shaking hands with everybody. And I'm looking, oh, my God, I know what's happened here. He's done a number on them. He's because I knew the multifaceted character that was my father, which is all of us. You know, which is all of us. We all know it. Uh, you know, we know the Instagram world where what we present and what is real. So um, I could see my father shaking hands with everybody and I thought, okay. So my father walked out past me as if I wasn't there. He actually walked out past me and I'm just looking at Pat and Pat's coming. And I said, well, and he said to me, and I could never say this line without crying. He said to me, uh, I think your daddy has a wee bit to go yet, Deirdre, before he's ready. And that was the lowest point of my life. That was the moment where I thought, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And Pat said to me, what about you, Deirdre? Me? Me? What about me? There's nothing wrong with me. If he would stop drinking... I'd be okay. So Pat started to tell me his story and he said that he was on his third suicide attempt and he woke up in a hospital in London and his mother was not at the end of the bed. And that was the turning point in his life. So he found sobriety and he said to me, Deirdre, you see today, and I could see by the look of him, he said, I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. I have a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful baby son. I have a beautiful home that I built myself. The mother that I tortured, I now bring my son to visit every Saturday. And this is what he said to me. He said, 
But if I lost all of that, Deirdre, I would still have me. Now, I'll never forget him saying that. And what I say now is there was a part of me hadn't a clue what he was talking about. But there was another part of me that was my soul that knew exactly what he was talking about. So that part was listening. And he said to me, this is what's going to happen. Um, he said, your father's going to say, God help them critters in there. And the next time I go, I'll go on my own. And he said, this is about you, Deirdre. He said, go to Al-Anon. Find Al-Anon. Start taking care of you. And I said, okay. So we got my father into the car. We're driving up the road. My, fa- my brother's driving. My father's in the passenger seat. I'm in the back seat. I was living in Belfast at that time. So they were driving on back to Newcastle. So they were driving to the outskirts of Belfast, dropping me off, and then they were going on. So we're driving up the road. And what does my father say? God help them critters in there. And I went one tick. And we got outside my house. I was getting out of the car and my father said, I want to say one thing to you. He said, thank you very much for bringing me today. But the next time I go to an AA meeting, I will go on my own. Tick. I was listening to Pat. So I got out of the car and I waited till um, give the time for my brother to get home. And I phoned uh, my brother and I said, uh, where's daddy? Which is what we said a thousand times a day. Where's daddy and what kind of form is he in? And anybody who has lived with this knows what that feels like. You're always looking for what kind of form the other person's in. And uh, I said, where's daddy? And my brother said to me, where do you think he is, Deirdre? Sorry, take me a minute. Uh-huh. Peace. That was so painful to hear. I'm grand, you're okay. And he said to me, where do you think he is, Deirdre? And I, I hoped beyond all that he was at home. And he said to me, he's in the pub. And I thought, okay. So my sister phoned me. As you do when you live in a family like this, when you live in a circumstance where someone is hurting and you love them and you cannot help them, you are on a merry-go-round. And it's a merry-go-round of insanity. And everybody's on it. Everybody's on it. And this is how it, this is how it goes. Every phone call starts with, where's my dad? What kind of forms he in? Or uh, it's always about the crisis. It's never was the crack. It's, it starts with that. So my sister phoned and she said, uh, well, how did it go? And I said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not talking about it. I, I am finished. I'm going to an Al-Anon meeting. I had, uh, I had actually carried, the. there's a list, that's it was a paper list of meetings. And I carried 
there was me. I'd found, I'd lifted that somewhere and I had carried it for about eight years. Eight years I was carrying that in my handbag. This is the power of denial. Okay, this is why my work is so important. This is why I'll do my work till the day God calls me. Because that pain is so, so deep and so big and so what you avoid. You know, you dress it up and cover it up with everything. But it's absolutely driving your life. And uh, anyway, so I said to my sister, I'm done. I'm going to an al meeting tomorrow and I'm not talking about daddy anymore. I'm done. And uh, that was that really was the start of my journey in a different direction. So I found the meeting was up the Ormer Road, back up to Belfast uh, the next next night. There is and it's still there uh, an Al-Anon meeting for ACOA, Adult Children of Alcoholics. OK, and so the focus, it's all the same. Anybody, um, you know, anybody uh, can go to anyone who's impacted by someone else's drinking can go to any Al-Anon. I've been to Al-Anon meetings all over the world and uh, made some great friends. Um, but this ACOA is just the focus was on that particular what it feels like to be the child of um, an alcoholic. And as I say, I qualify this now always that my journey has evolved, and I'll tell you more about that. But my journey has evolved now that I, and I know it's um, a lot of people don't like it, but I have to speak my truth that I really don't believe that alcoholism is a disease. I believe that alcohol abuse, overuse of alcohol is a coping skill. I've done it myself. So I think it's a coping skill. And I've worked on so many people, I've worked on so many people all over the world now, myself, that when we find the root cause, release the root cause and change the root cause. There is no need for alcohol. There is no need for alcohol. So um, so I went to my first Al-Anon meeting and I remember I was a wee bit late going in and I just sat very quietly and I could hear, I could hear these words. I couldn't tell you what the words were, but I do believe those words were speaking to my soul at that point. And I just sat with my head down and one person uh, held my hand. I, I don't know who the person was. One person, that's the power of this work. One person held my hand and the other person handed me a hanky. And I just wept and I cried. I cried. I really believe that I cried for the years, the years of pain and hurt and unable to express any emotion, you know, nothing, nothing could come out. Nothing was allowed to come out. Um, and uh, so that was the beginning. Um, I will say that uh, three years later, my father was dead. Three years later, the people that I befriended in that group. That group was my lifeline. And it's interesting that they didn't, we didn't know each other's surnames. This is the nature of 12-step recovery, uh, that, you know, your identity, you know, that that is nothing. That has nothing to do with anything. I was not Deirdre Maguire, you know, Deirdre Maguire, Joe Maguire's daughter, um, you know, local businessman, all of that there. I, I couldn't, I couldn't have that about me if I was going to heal what I needed to heal. So in that place, 
I was just Deirdre in pain. And nobody had any other expectations of me. So it was an amazing journey. Um, uh, when my father died, uh, those were the people who counted, you know, like my father's, I don't know, there was 2,000 people at my father's funeral. The chapel was packed. And understandably, he was um, he was a lovely man. And uh, he was also a very angry man. He was a very... Um, a hurt man. He was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of denial. But this is not his story. This is my story. So, um, but I remember those people whose surnames I didn't know. I didn't even know what they did. That was not important. What was important was the here and now, our experience, strength and hope. The truth. What is the truth that's going on, you know? And uh, so... I have a caveat to that story, which is a critical one. And it was actually one that I was sharing with um, a girl who contacted me the other day. And it was so interesting that she had the same story. And I have to tell you this part of it. So one year later, you can imagine, you know, I had, uh, so I had Alan on under my belt. And uh, I, um, a friend of mine who was in 12-step recovery in AA, he was going to an AA celebration. They were, I don't know, they were celebrating, I don't know, 50 years or something. So there was a do. And uh, my friend said to me, uh, will you come with me? And I said, surely. So there we went to the, and this is a year after Daddy died. So you can imagine that year and everything that I was searching and searching for answers and all the rest of it. And uh, so I go to the event and who's at it? Pat. And I walk over and I say, well, Pat, I said, um, you wouldn't remember me, but, and he says, Deirdre, I remember you. And I said, uh, you know, um, I said, you know, daddy died. And he said, Deirdre, he said, uh, I said, you know, he took his own life. And he said, I, he said, such are the jungle drums, Deirdre, uh, that, you know, we live in a small uh, he said, uh, such are the jungle drums. I know. I heard that, Deirdre. And then this is the critical point. I said to him, ah, well, sure, at least I got him to one meeting. And he said to me, Deirdre, mm, I have to tell you the truth. He said, your daddy didn't go into the meeting that night. And that one line, you know, the the illusion that we have, that we know people or that we have control over somebody else, that we know I know what it feels like, you know, to be Owen, I know what it feels like. You have no idea. Stop trying to figure it out. Turn in, be your best self, evolve. That's my tagline. That's my why to evolve as my best self so that others may do the same. That one line, I felt at the time that it set me back about 10 years. It actually didn't. And this is why I say today that the lowest point is actually the turning point. Your lowest point is your turning point. 
And when you know that, and I know that, so when somebody comes to my door, I am itching to get at them. Because I know that that is the hardest thing they've ever had to do. They'll do anything else. You'll eat it, smoke it, sex it, shop it, work it. You'll do anything else rather than face that thing. But I'm telling you, if you face it, number one, it'll change your life. And number two, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. It's not that bad. Honest to God, it's not. It really, really isn't. Um, So at that point, I was working in the family business and I was in 12-step recovery. I was in Al-Anon. I was going every week. I was going to three or four meetings a week. My family thought I had lost the plot. Every time I come into the room, you know, dearies, what in what I now know is that feeling of my sense of well-being depends on somebody else's. You know, if daddy was in good form, I was in good form. When we come into the house, where's my dad and what kind of form's he in? Okay, that is now called codependency. You're codependent, you are dependent, your sense of well-being is dependent on someone else. Okay, and when you get that and you know it, you can change it. But until you know it, you don't even know it. You don't know that you don't know. That's why I'm here. That's why I'll go anywhere and talk about it anywhere. Because if you happen to hear this, okay, and you'll get that moment where you go, I have no idea what she's talking about, but your soul will know exactly what I'm talking about. Because, and this is what I believe today, we are all one. We are all one tribe. We are one humanity. When stuff is going on in the rest of the world, it impacts us. We are all one humanity. So if I make a wee shift, you get a shift too. And that's how it works. And I think that's brilliant. I think that's what's exciting about it. You know, that's why, you know, I have goosebumps going up and down my legs all the time from what is possible. We haven't even started. We have not even started. We are emotional dinosaurs, okay, governed by archaic systems, living in, where's the mobile phone, in a galactical world that we haven't a clue how to handle. So, you know, what I see is that the baton has been passed to me. My mother and father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, they did the best they could with what they had. And I know from the work I do today that there are a lot of people who have had a lot of really painful experiences under the guise of the primary caregivers. These are the people that were supposed to keep you safe and they did the the exact opposite. They ruptured your trust so that you can't operate in the world now in the way you're supposed to. But my message is there is another way. It doesn't have to be as hard as you think it's going to be. And if I can do it, if I can do it, you can do it too. Today, like I say, this is my my punchline. I'm 67. And one of my clients said to me yesterday, dearie, you have a body of a 30 year old. I'm 67. I've never been older. I've never been fitter. I am a proud CrossFit athlete. Okay. 
Um, I've done my ice bath all this morning. I, I do all that stuff. Those are all the daily practices that help you to move forward. But you need to do the core work. They'll not work if you don't do the root core changing work. And when you do that, then you will support yourself by doing these other things. OK, so this is what I say. I've never been older. I've never been fitter and I've never been happier because I know that happiness, a.k.a. peace. OK, sometimes you're happier than others. Sometimes you're in a good mood and sometimes, you know, the shit hits the fan. But that inner peace is very precious. You guard it. You invest in it. You take care of it. You take it. You treat it like your child. You know, you love your children and, and you treat your inner peace with value. So everything is either going towards it or going away from it. And when you do that, then you can literally have a life beyond your wildest dreams. Like, I cannot believe that I'm sitting here looking at you two, you know? You're welcome. <laughs> My life. <laughs> I just, you know, this is, I got the goosebumps again. This, and that's your... That's it, wrong. <laughs> get your hand on my legs, put it under the table. <laughs> that is your, that's your inner ding. That's your wealth. That is your emotional fitness. That's who you are. You know, I didn't bring my diamond with me. I could have brought my diamond, but I, use, I wear it. When I'm wearing that, I wear it for a reason. Um, you know, this is what I show my clients. I say, this is who you are. You're amazing. You're incredible. You are unreal, Aidan. <laughs> you are amazing. You are incredible. You're perfect. You're beautiful. You came into an imperfect world. And they had their stuff. Okay. Now, how you got here has nothing to do with why you're here. Okay. I work. I've heard all the stories. I've heard. I've worked with people who are, you know, the product of a rape. So how would they have a value in the world? Okay. I have all kind, all kinds of people. And it's not all the deep, dark stuff, but it's there. And I can deal with it. The system you know, today I have created my own system, a consolidation of everything I've learned, and I call it the stress solution system. And it deals with, it can handle anything. Okay. So you may have, there could be somebody listening to this and say, oh God, that's all a bit deep. <laughs> you know, that didn't happen to me. But your life is still unmanageable. It doesn't have to be, the, you know, the bit, what's called the big T drama. You don't have to, you know, that doesn't need to have happened to you for you to feel, actually, I'm a wee bit off kelter here. I actually don't belong here or I don't deserve to be here or, um, you know, um, I'm not good enough or I'm guilty or any of these beliefs that you have. They can, in a, in a moment, you know, a teacher can look at you sideways and you make a decision that you're not good enough or, you know, you get a red mark in a book. And you go, OK, well, now I know that. And then everything builds on top of it. You see how it works? So what I do is we pull out the linchpin. See that red mark? That was bullshit. That woman had a hangover that morning. She'd fallen out with her husband and she didn't want to be in the job she was in. And that's her context. And you give your meaning to it. Right. 
because we give meaning to everything. And the meaning we give to everything is based on the filter system that we're looking at life through. Okay, so when you understand that, you think, well, wait a minute. What am I believing here? What am I believing to be true? What? That you're not good enough, Deirdre? That you're actually a failure? That you, you know, you didn't do well enough in your exams? You let your parents down? You got divorced? You know, a Catholic divorced? What? Uh, Really, really, you don't deserve to be happy at all. So when you unpack that, and that's what I do with people, when you unpack and go, okay, what are you believing to be true? That is actually a lie. It's a lie. It's just circumstances. It's just what happened. It's not who you are. Who you are is amazing and beautiful. And when you, it's not easy, you know, you have to get up and do it again and get up and do it again. But then you build momentum. And when you build momentum, you hit what's called the tipping point. Okay, so this is a scientific phenomenon that um, you only have to get to 15% when you hit the tipping point. So say, for example, like everybody believes the earth's flat and anybody who says the earth is round is an idiot. Okay, so everybody knows the earth is flat because if you go to the edge, you'll fall off the end of it because we've never used boats. We've never been anywhere. Right. So then somebody starts to say something different. And then, okay, well, there's two people that know about it, but everybody else knows the earth's flat. And then, well, somebody says something to somebody, somebody, that's how podcasts work. People, it gains momentum. It only has to get to 15% of people to realize that the earth is actually round. And then it hits the tipping point and it shoots off. And very, very quickly, everybody knows the earth is round. And the flatters are going, not to be daft, who, do, who, know, who believes that anymore? And when you understand that, like, I just think that's phenomenal. So the more we, that's why I love you doing this. I love everybody that's, you know, you're invested. You know, before we come on, I was saying, what was this about? And you were saying, originally it was about comedy. But then you were called to something else and you didn't even know it. Still don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> But seeing all that there, the scary thing for me is listening to this is I'm processing that and we're mm. processing this as adults. Yes. What about the kids? Like, I'll give an example. My wee girl went to school this morning and you made a note there about an axe, the red axe mm-hmm. on the, the mm-hmm. notepad because something was wrong, but it was to do with how they were feeling that day or whatever it is. My wee girl went to school today. She has a spelling mm-hmm. exam today. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's the problem? She says, well, what if we get any of them wrong? And she started crying. Could not get her to stop crying. Pet. And I says, so if you get any wrong, um, what's going to change? Have Did you do your best? Well, I'm going to try my best, but what if I don't get any right? And I says, so what's going to happen if you don't get any right? I'm not going to get a gold star. And that's what she was worried about going to school this morning. And I was like, so if you don't get a gold star, what's going to change? You've still done your best. But like we're all sitting trying to process it as adults. How do we get a wee child at six years of age to start thinking the way that we're thinking? So uh, it's funny because you know what I have with my, in, in my, I have a wee box of goodies. And one of the things that I have 
is a roll of gold stars. I hope I get one later. <laughs> but you know, Sean made a, a good point there, and and this is I, I have two boys, and Sean, and actually I know Sean's two ones, and, and and his cubs the same as this. I have two boys, one's super sensitive, and is a pleaser and wants to please people, and and would take it really bad, and the other boy is a brick through a window, and I'm like he's going to go through life with less worries because he genuinely is going to be a happier child, where. The, it is yeah, bad. yeah, yeah. So, and, so and my two, my two kids are are the so they're they're both u- they're using different coping skills mm-hmm. to deal with the same thing. They're both the same. They we all are the same. We all need loved. So one guy's attitude is, I know why I'm going to do this. This is the best way. He one's probably older than the other one, and so one sees. He's watching, and the eldest one typically will get all the attention, and then the one that's coming close. That is such a hard place to be because he's always second. He's always second. He's always. So he could opt out and go, fuck it. <laughs> right. He says, that's it. I, I'm not even going to try. So he's bog on, bog on. But underneath, he's he's got his emotions. So one of the things that you do, you know how to solve that problem with your daughter. What what we are taught is a fundamental flaw in the system is that we are taught to be successful. And what I want you to do is teach her how to feel. Teach her how to feel. What she is perceiving is that if she gets them wrong, that that is a failure and failure is wrong. Well, we need to learn that failure is right. Uh, You work out. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Yes, I do. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Uh, I, 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 like, I like how you asked me that question. Uh, you, you asked me that question. Thank you. Look. Yeah. Right. I, I, I love, well, I love, I love your cuddly hugs. I, yeah. I love your cuddly hugs. Okay. So in the gym, in the gym, what we do is we go to failure. You're not clipping that. <laughs> We, you are, tr- you train yourself to go to failure. How do you know you're succeeding when you go to failure? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you get her to interpret, she's already in the system that says if you're good, Santa Claus comes and you get into heaven. If you're a good girl, Santa Claus will come, and if you're a good girl, you will get into heaven. If you're a bad girl, Santa Claus will not come, and if you're a bad girl, you will go to hell. You will burn in hell. That's where I, what I was taught. Okay, so we have to undo all this. Okay, so what you what you teach her is ask her every day, what did you feel at today, and then she gets excited about feeling because she's ignoring the. Six spellings that she got right. And all she's focused on is the four that she got wrong. So what you teach her is those four that you got. I love that because now we can improve. You know that. You know those six. But when you teach her how to be comfortable with failure, which you know about because I know what I do CrossFit and I go, can I deadlift this? And I go, you know, it's really funny. I had a PB the other day and you will laugh at this. But I had a PB the other day and here's what it was. You Like I... Up until last week, I couldn't jump up onto the rig. Okay, so I when we're doing dead hangs, I will hang from there's a lower one and I hang from that. And that's fine. So the other day there, uh, there, there, somebody else had taken it. And so I needed to get up on this high one. So, well, I noticed this girl beside me and she went and got um, 
the thing at the end of the bar. I still don't know all the names. She got the thing at the end of the bar and she stood on it. She set it down and she stood on it. And then she jumped up. And I thought, okay, I, that's what I, okay, right. So I went over to the lower one and practiced doing it easily. Okay, so I didn't need to jump on that one. That was right there. But I, well, you know, it was right there. So I went, jumped, jumped. Okay, so I'm teaching my body the experience. Your body's a blueprint of the past. Okay, it's always a blueprint of the past. It's only got what it hasn't experienced yet. So when you haven't experienced it yet, you don't need to be afraid of it because you haven't experienced it. Okay, so you go easy on yourself. All right, dearie, do we jump? Do we jump? That's okay. Then I go over and I get the thing and you know what I'm talking What do you call the thing? The pull-up bar? No, the... Thank you. Thank you, Pat. What I, is it? The plate. Oh, the plate. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. So... I wouldn't know. I haven't made so, 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 you will. <laughs> you will. You will. So, so, you get, I got the plate. Now I'm scared. Now I've never done this. But I've had a wee practice, so I'm not as scared as I was. But because I know how the mind works, I keep company... With the fear, the fear's there. I keep company with the fear of it. What am I making up in my mind? That I'm going to pull out my sockets. I'm going to, okay, so no, that doesn't need to happen. So what if I focused on actually achieving it? Okay, so I've already had the experience of what that feels like. So let's just do it. And I did it. And I was so excited. And the beautiful thing about it is that when you do it once, you can't wait to do it again. Immediately, your mind has taken it on and you go, okay, I can't wait now to do that again. It's like when I get in the ice bath in the morning, it's the hardest thing and it never gets easy. But I do it and as soon as I've done it, I think, I'm going to do that again. Because you've taught, the, the, you know, your system. Your system is protecting you all the time. Make friends with your system. You know, I hear people saying, you know, the voice in their head and they, they you know, they call it somebody, something derogatory. No, no. You know, when I and I had cancer at one stage and people talk about fighting cancer for me. And if fighting cancer helps you, that's good. But for me, I made peace with cancer. You know, I made peace with it. Thank you, cancer, for whatever I'm learning here. And I learned that got the lesson from it and that was OK. So it's always what you're doing in your mind. And you can apply this to anything. But what you've got to do is apply it to anything and the more you do it, the better you get. An example of a story of um, uh, a girl whose father used to say to her, what did you feel at today till she got familiar with it is now you wouldn't <laughs> you wouldn't be familiar with this. But um, there's um, what do you call them? Spanks. Uh, have you got your spanks on? She's proper having a fucking <laughs> 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 That was a joke. That was a joke. But, but can you feel that? So the, the girl who, I can't remember her name, but the girl who in, invented Spanx uh, wanted, uh, she was wearing white, she was selling, she was a door-to-door saleswoman and she wanted to wear white trousers and she didn't like, they showed her panty line and she didn't want that. So she put a pair of tights on underneath and that sorted it out. And that was the birth of Spanx. And the women who are listening know that they're a lifesaver, okay? So when I listened to her story, this is what she said. Her father said to her every day, what did you feel at? And her story about how she got from pulling on a pair of tights to, to being rejected 
over and over and over again. You know, she had this idea, she created it, and then she just kept getting rejected. But when you change the meaning of rejection, okay, when you change the meaning of rejection, then watch how your life will open up, okay? Like, I remember this time, you know, um, I was um, I had this date with this man. And um, so he was, we were meeting up and I was there first and, and I, and I started to think to myself, oh my God, I, I really, really was so overwhelmed. I thought, what is going on here? What is this? This is not excitement. This is fear. And the excitement and fear are very close. This is actually fear. I was palpitating. I was, oh my God. And what I was actually afraid of was being rejected. What if he, what if this doesn't work? What if he rejects me? Oh my God. And then I thought, what meaning am I giving to rejection? So, so I changed the meaning of it and I thought, what if I'm actually unrejectable? What if I was actually, sorry, I'm unrejectable. No matter what you say to me, I'm unrejectable. I turned that around. I had that date. Best night's crack I had in a long time. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> More questions than Do you want to ask any questions? <laughs> he, so, was, he was unrejected. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, do you see? Are you starting to get? Yeah, yeah. It's like the Thomas Edison mindset. Mm-hmm. They asked them. The filament light bulb took like twelve hundred attempts, and they're like, "You got it wrong eleven hundred and ninety-nine times." He goes, "No, I just found eleven hundred ninety-nine ways not to make the light bulb." That's exactly the truth. When you really get over that, you, you know, God knows what you can do. You can, you can, you know, what if what if I said you could live a fully expanded life? You could experience everything. What is stopping you? What is stopping you currently? And I will say to you, what's stopping you currently is what you believe to be true. And when you change what you believe to be true, when you get your daughter excited, I want you to tell me, I'm going to give you a gold star for every one you get wrong. Oh God, that could go horribly wrong. But she, she, she'll, start, <laughs> she'll, start, she'll start to think, okay, uh, maybe I can get, and she'll get more wrong and more wrong and more wrong. But what are you doing to the system that she is using to journey in the world? Yeah. It's a completely different system. Our system is antiquated. You know, I trained as a teacher, you know, I have a degree in, in, in education. And I remember, you know, you know, you have these moments. And I remember um, I went to Korea and went to NUU uh, when it was New University of Ulster. Best four years of my life and best to crack. And uh, then came, well, you have to work now. So I was a Catholic uh, who'd been trained at NUU. So the Catholic schools didn't want me because I wasn't out of St. Mary's and the Protestant schools didn't want me because I was a Catholic. So it was kind of hard to get a job. So I did a lot of subbing and there was a very good man, Jerry Brannigan. I'm very grateful to him and he gave me a job. And I remember sitting in the staff room. So picture this, you know, I'm sitting and it was a mobile. It was one of those weird mobiles with the windows were up at the top. So you were just sitting in. Like it's sitting up an entry, <laughs> you know, you're sitting in this room and you know, back in the day, my best coping skill was smoking, one of them. And so I couldn't wait till 11 o'clock, bell goes, get away smoke, okay? And 
I remember, you know, a line of teachers here and a line. We're all sitting. It's like you're on a bus. Everybody's sitting looking at each other. And and one of the teachers said, that's a queer day for drying. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought. That's an old country spec. Oh, big time. There has to be more to life. There has to be more to life. It's a queer drying day. What do you call that book? Fuck it. Did you just look around and go. Fucking him out. <laughs> That's fuck, it. It's, it's, got, it's what I call uh, the fuck it moment. But when you when you, when you get to that point where you go, I can't do this anymore. I couldn't do it anymore, my dad. I couldn't do it anymore. So I know that that moment is the lowest point, is the turning point. The common denominator in a lot of successful people or people that have changed their life, people that have been ill or traumatized and they're now talking out we have found there was the bottom out moment. Yeah. However, it we, we, we were speaking to Neve, this eating disorder, and she she was about to take her life. Or Darn, when his child near died. There's been that one moment, it's a common denominator in a lot of people, where you have two choices. You die with it, or you change it. Yeah. And, that you know, a lot of people actually are so thankful for their worst point. Yeah. And it sounds weird to say. People actually have learned to embrace and say, the worst thing ever happened to me, worst point I've ever been in my life, but also what's given me my life now or what's what's given me my mindset now or where's put me now. Nobody would wish any of that. But for people out there that 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 feel like they're there or they're under stress or they're at the fucking moment, like, you know, it it's... And I don't mean it's easy because you made it sound easy there, but there's mm. obviously a lot of work to change that mindset. You don't just now have that mindset where you view situations like that and you're viewing moments like that where you were at that date and you, you've you've now got that awareness about you that you can start mm. having an internal conversation to say, I want to change that. That doesn't happen from a moment or a two moment. No. That, that's a, a journey of, of learning who you are, triggers your fears your emotions and trying to process them and deal with but say for people out there just listening to this and just are they're just flat they're not they're not they're not up there they're not as happy as their life should be they don't feel and they've just made a contentment with this is the way it was what would your advice be in them situations if somebody's just you know what i mean about the flatness there's people just they don't get excited for things or they're not they're not they're not completely unhappy or, or traumatized or thing, but they're just in a, in a in an emotion in their life where they're just going through the flat. What would you say to them for the first steps? Not because it's. I don't mean it's easy. It's easy to say, change that, Ryan. John's daughter, we're going to change that. It's a process of. of am I right in saying yeah. this? It's a process of of of. Yeah. Is it is it a journey to find yourself first? Well, what I would say. Um, the very first step is awareness. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're actually on your way. Someone who is listening to this podcast, there's something in them that says, I want to know more. So, you know, so, you know, something has piqued your interest, whatever it is, you know, it might be another podcast and somebody else that you've had on or something. And that's you now on the podcast. So now you start and you, then you think, well, who's she? And you listen to me and you go, okay. And then, okay. And then, and this is how it works. We were talking about this before we come on. Um, there's a system in your mind, in your brain, and it's called the reticular 
activating system, okay, the RAS. And it's a filter system. So Sounds like a paramilitary. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get your RAS working, uh, so th- there's so much going on in the world that you need a filter system to filter out what's, you know, we delete, distort and generalize all the time. We're always filtering. I don't need that. And I don't need that. And a common experience of this, and many people share this, like I was saying to you before, um, I wanted to get a Mercedes and uh I thought, right, I'm finally going to give myself permission to buy a Mercedes car. Well, I'm out in the road now and I'm driving, uh, um, like, what was my car before that? Um, a Peugeot. I was driving a Peugeot and so I, there I am driving along the Peugeot and I am like, is there a sale in Mercedes? Because every other car, have you ever had that experience? Oh. Every other car is a Mercedes. And you're thinking, what is this? Now, there aren't any more Mercedes on the road. But your reticular activating system, okay, has put its focus on Mercedes. So that's why there's the saying, what you focus on expands. What you focus on, you get more of. So if you are piqued by something I'm saying or something you hear somewhere, okay, so start to give that attention. Just say, okay, right, right. Now you something else will show up and something else will show up and something else will show up. And you will find yourself on the journey. You're already on the journey. The journey has started. Um, if you want to, what I say to people who are overwhelmed is all you have to do. You see, the people who are, I'm okay, I'm not doing anything. They're traumatized. They're just, they're numbed out. That's how they're doing it. Uh, no, I, I'm okay. I don't do this and I don't do that. That's all I do. I just stay on the same. Okay, so it's a form of, numbing it's a form of trauma response uh, that's what it actually is okay you know the ones that your friends would laugh at you when you say you want to do something or that um that's their that's a coping skill you know if they if i laugh at it if i make fun of it you know if i said god you know i remember when i started my journey and i remember you know your friends change things change you find yourself a year down the line you've a totally new set of friends um and i remember one of my best friends saying to me you know, I I was actually, I was drinking then, you know, I was, you know, when I say drinking, I was doing the normal thing, work all week and, you know, get half caught on a Friday night, get up with a hangover on Saturday, go play hockey or camogie or whatever I was doing, uh, go out and do it again Saturday night, lie and watch EastEnders on a Sunday and then go to work on Monday. And that was normal. Okay. So that's when I, when I say I was drinking, that's what I mean I was doing. And, um, and then when I started to, you know, awaken to this other way I started to question everything so I thought okay so I was actually drinking less so if I was going out to the pub with my friend you know I would maybe have a drink but then I'd say you know I'm going home now or and I remember my friend saying to me you're no crack anymore you used to be good crack now you know I was the life and soul Uh, but a lot of the time I was (laughs) especially university I was blacked out you know, you know, I was the life and soul, but I wasn't there. And um, so know that it does require change and know that you will navigate it all. You know, you have those moments. And, you know, I remember um, back in the day, you can imagine I'm full blown codependent. I'm taking care of everybody. Uh, I find Al-Anon. So what does a good codependent do? Buy five books, okay? Get the books and then go out and deliver them to this brother, this brother, this sister, this can sister. I, sorry to, to interrupt. The Al-Anon 
what for you was it because you were the, the alcohol abuse was in your house or that you were starting to suffer from it yourself uh, no it was nothing to do with me suffering from it no Al-Anon is for family and friends of people who have been affected by other people's drinking but what I will say is that my drinking wasn't normal then but it looked normal Today, it's what your perception of normal is. People say, actually, you just go out and get full on Friday night and that's okay. You're okay. Does that make sense? So I was, um, well, you see, you pick up your skills from your primary caregivers. So you can go either way with alcohol. Some people, my, you know, my father was a full-blown drinker, so I don't drink at all. But you still haven't dealt with what's behind that. Okay, remembering that alcohol is the coping skill. Alcohol is the solution. Alcohol is the symptom of the problem. Ask yourself this question. What problem is alcohol solving? What problem is overeating solving? What problem is scrolling solving? Does that make sense? It's always the symptom. So what we do is, what I do is go to the problem, the root cause of it. So in answer to that question, if back in the day I was good crack, uh, did my drinking on a Friday night, out for three or four gin, bit of a hangover, get up, you know, a couple of paracetamol and out you go. Um, I uh, I smoked at that stage. And uh, so that, I, that was my normal, you know, and that was okay. That was good crack. And then, wait a minute. Oh, there's another way here. Let me see what's going on here. So, you know, it didn't happen overnight. But like I say, I bought those books and delivered them. And one family member lifted the book, said to me, Deirdre, come here to see this. Walked to the bin, opened the bin, threw the book in closed the bin and he said, do you think I haven't got enough problems without you coming to me with this pile of shite that you're talking about? And I remember driving up the road that day crying because I love my family very much. And but the part of me that knew there's another way. Took the pain, took the hit of it and went I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep going. I'll keep doing this. And ultimately, all my family came to me at different points. They came and said, this is not working. This is not working. Can you help me? Can you help me? And, and I have helped all of them. Did, did you do the 12 step recovery? Yes. 12 step recovery initiated, uh, originated, sorry, originated in AA. Yeah, yeah. So there were two two men who sat together in a room. They were both suffering and they wanted a different way. And what actually happened was, so they would meet on a Tuesday night and they would sit in their kitchen and they uh, have their meeting in the living room. And the two wives were sitting in the kitchen waiting for them to finish. And the two wives got talking. And they started to share their experience, strength and hope. And that's how Alan Owen was born. Okay, and uh, so now there are many twelve-step programs. There for eating, for um, for drugs, for overuse of sex, and um, for shopping. There, there are many, many twelve-step programs. Uh, in fact, my work, uh, I created my own 
you know, the stress solution system, 12 steps. What is the 12 steps of the stress solution? Well, um, if I come to you and I says, I am out, my mind's spinning, I am stressed to the nines, what is your first step? Well, the first thing I would say to you is, good man, well done. That's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because you have actually said how you feel about the thing that you fr- are frightened of most. So if you have done that, the first that's the first next step. That's all you have to do. So when you come to me and you are at my door and I, I have worked all over the world, the journey of, of how I got here is a different one. But f- today you would come to my home and I bring you into my kitchen because that's where we feel safe. You know, it's not a therapy room. It's a kitchen with the, you know, floor to ceiling glass looking out at the beautiful mountains of Morn. And it's all safe. It's all easy. Just sit down there in that chair. A lovely chair. It's not a, you know, therapist's chair. It's one of my, you know, chair out of the living room. And you just sit there and I start to show you how you are doing to yourself what you are doing. What we were never taught in school. I have consolidated what I've learned over the last 25 years and I have a couple of flip charts and you sit and I say, now just you sit down there and we do you hear this and relax, have a wee cup of tea, have a glass of water, we do you see this. And the first thing that I show you is the manual, the manual of your mind. You know, like, you know, when like if you imagine, you know, the central heating system in the house. And you know the way you have to change the hour. It's coming up now and you'll have to change the hour of it. Well, if if you could imagine me in my utility room with the glasses on, the nose screwed up, trying to figure out how do you change this thing? And then remember, oh, aye, that's right. I downloaded, I couldn't do this last year either. And I downloaded the manual. So I open the cupboard and I take it out and I follow the instructions of the guy who made the timer. Okay, I follow the instructions And all I have to do is follow the instructions and I get the R changed. Well, we didn't come with a manual. Your mother didn't have a manual. Her mother didn't have a manual. Your parents didn't have a manual on how to raise you. So I now have a manual. I have steps that are sequential that explain you came into the world. You, they had their problems. You came into their world. You walked in in the middle of the film. Right. You're perfect. But you come into an imperfect world as they did. This is not about, oh, your mommy and daddy are imperfect. We all did. Right. We're all evolving. We're all growing and evolving. So we're at the next stage. Okay, so you come into their world. They had their problems and you downloaded some beliefs. You started to have experiences. Okay, and now those experiences are stored as memories. Okay, so now you've got these memories and we were doing a wee bit of that earlier on. I was showing you how memories work. We think in pictures. Okay, so now you've got beliefs. What do you believe about the world? You might be frightened of dogs. You might have a belief that dogs are dangerous. I had that one at one time. Okay, so you have these beliefs and what's holding up the beliefs are the proofs. And the proofs are the memories. Now, the good thing about it is that we can change the memory. If I said to you 
I'll do it with you. As if I said to you, what I want you to think of your front door, okay? Of my house now. Yes. Uh, okay. So yeah. you got your front door. Okay. So you're you're working perfectly. I thought maybe we minute you might have been a bit dodgy, but actually you're working perfectly. I work on a different level. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you so, know, men, we could men could be harder to to talk and through because we don't read manuals either. So, <laughs> <laughs> you look at the picture. Okay. So. So so now you've got your front door. Yeah. And what colour is your front door? Black. Okay. So now what I want you to do is I want you to change it. Could you make that front door red? Yeah. You just did it. I saw you doing it. And if you you'll notice his eyes access in different ways. So now I want you to um could you put a Christmas wreath on the front of the red door? It's hanging up. There you go. Now I want you to take that down and I want you to put the Halloween stuff up. It's all so orange and black. I'm flat out here. Right. Uh, <laughs> you got it? Yeah. Okay. So you're working perfectly. So what you did there was you just changed a memory. Okay. So your door's not here. Okay. Yeah. Your door is a memory in your mind. So when we Googled it and I, you weren't thinking about your door, you weren't thinking about it, but we Googled and I said, Thank you, your door. So you Googled it. The mind does it for you. Your mind's your servant. It brought up the door and you changed the door. We can change memories. We can change them. Now, you'd say to me, well, dearie, um, like. If it's a traumatic memory and it's hardwired into you, mm -mm. surely it's not as easy to reprogram as changing a reef on a door. It's not hardwired. It's not? No. It's not hardwired. Some trauma, some people that have suffered trauma might argue that that is a deep I, I totally, I totally understand that. Um, my father took his own life. Um, I had cancer. I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, that's the big one. And, you know, I remember, you know, what I say is what I remember most wasn't that I was going to die. It was that I hadn't lived. Um, so that... that um, you know, cancer gave me the chance, the opportunity to really put what I had learned to the test. So I did. So um, I had the surgery. I said yes to the surgery. And I said no to the chemotherapy and radiation. And it was the biggest no of my life. Now, my work is not about whether you say yes or no to chemotherapy. Chemotherapy is good if it helps you, whatever. It's not, it's not about that. But for me, for my truth... At that point, that's what was my truth then. So how hardwired could that be? And all of that was 11 years ago. I just didn't go back. Okay, today I've never been older, never been fitter, never been happier. So I will challenge you that because of the anecdotal evidence that I have, which is I work with people. All day, every day. I have had people who have had massive, massive, massive trauma. Huge, huge sexual abuse um, and other stuff. Um, things that, you know, people cannot talk about. You know, brothers and sisters that have had sex. All kinds of things, all right? So when you see that, and see how this work changes that. And the, plus the, the recipe is the intention of the person. This is why I feel that this work is, I am privileged and honoured to do this work. 
because what I see it as is exchange. So when somebody comes to me and they are ready to do the work and they're terrified or whatever, but they say, I'm at the door. So you're at my door in answer to your question, you're at my door and I say, come on in. And I break all the rules. I'm not a therapist and I'm not a counsellor. One of the first things I will do is I'll ask permission and I'll say, would you like a hug? And we do the hug. We do the connection. Okay. We make it safe. Every, I waste not one word. When I'm working with you, I know where I'm going in your mind. I, uh, everything I say, I'm saying to redirect that thinking, to collapse that belief system. Okay. And when I do that, you wouldn't even know. A lot of you wouldn't know what I'm doing a lot of the time. <laughs> I hope you wipe your feet because I got a dirty mind if you're up in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, Danny, I, there's an intensity to some of what you're saying. And I 100%, I am a massive believer on nothing is good or bad as our thinking that makes it so. We mm-hmm. we, 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 we do. We, mm-hmm. And people always say it's the, the thought of something scarier than the action of that's something. Right. That's a fact. That we, we are prisoners to our mind. But that's, I don't think I have a great deal of awareness, definitely not in your level, but I think I have a certain level of awareness of, of my, my mindset and where I am at. But for people that are not there, this will just, they'll find it hard. And I struggle with that because I don't have the level of awareness that you yeah. have, that that you can take a, a traumatic experience and say that you can take it away. And I, I, Jesus, I pray to God that that, that was true. And, and, and I hope that is the situation. I don't have a, a deep root traumatic. You don't change what happened. I know my father took his own life. You don't change what happened, but you change how you hold what happened. You change how you perceive what happened. The meaning that you give to it is different. The solution to every problem is the same. How can I look at this differently? The solution to every problem is the same. And I am not saying I have had my dark moments. You know, I have had my suicidal thought. And it wasn't the big thought. It was just, oh, actually, it'd be all right. I could just drive on in there, fill up the car with, you know, water and there'd be all over it was a thought, okay? So I know, you know, you know what, you know, I remember reading this one time, what we, uh, we are rewarded in public for what we practice in private. Now, um, this is all good fun, it's good crack and everything else, and I love it. But what got me here is all the times that I started again, start again, start again, you know, do it again, get up again, get back on the horse again, do it again. And when you hone your persistency skills, that's when your life will change. And that's when my life changed, when I got that. You can pay a lot of lip service. And there are a lot of people out there, you know, who are... who Bullshitters. Who talk. That's cut through it. <laughs> <laughs> they are talking the talk. Yeah. And I get it. And if, if somebody, you know, presents a platitude on an Instagram page and it it makes you think, oh, okay, right, for a second, that's a change. That's how we do this. Okay. So I'm not dissing people because 
everything is in divine right order. And when you surrender to that and realize that everything, if something didn't happen, if you didn't get the job or you didn't get the partner or whatever, if it didn't go your way, when you can start to go to, you know, 30,000 feet, when you're the drone looking down on your life and you can see, and that's what one of the things that I do with people, I do retreats, like I do one-on-one retreats. People come to my house and they stay for three days and we do total immersion. We go in, it's great. You know, we, we walk in the forest and we do all the nice things. We do all that. We do the ice bath, but we do the work. Just be careful. You love some creepy man email. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm available for three days. I, I was thinking I'd like that. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people do. I young, love the morts. Uh, yeah, there was uh, um, people come from all over the world. I've had people come from Australia, from America, from Europe, um, from. You that know. would be intense, but wouldn't it? If you're if you're working, at, no, it's at, in the house. Uh, no, 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 but together. I mean, <laughs> that's very good. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> really out for me. But well, dear D, leading that on, how do you deal with rejection? Or how do you deal with negativity? Not rejection, negativity. Because surely, when you've gone to that level of where you're at now, mm. you've had to cut some people out. Uh, yes, you. Um, you choose your your what you know your diamond your essence your soul your spirit whatever you want to call it your speaking, god speaking call of it. diamonds did, did you jump off the Titanic and get that back <laughs> that that, that has been all over the world and I wish I had more of them I could have sold that a hundred times I've had people in immigration you know going through immigration and they're talking about immigration and then the girl just goes. Did you get that? That's really lovely. Um, so it represents your essence, your soul and who you are. So when you really get into the mindset of this is precious, okay, um, I'll give you another wee. Okay, so I want to think of two words. One of them is uh, essential and the other word is incidental. Okay, so what is essential in life? Food, uh, air, uh, water, um, um, shelter, um, connection, communication, love. Those are the essential things of life. What is incidental is, have I got good Wi-Fi? How much money is in my bank account? Um, where's my next drink coming from? Uh, those are the incidentals of life. And the problem is when we make the incidental, essential. That's when when my credit card's not working the other day and somebody's tried to take money out and blah, 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 and I'm dealing with the bank and I'm doing all that and I've got somebody who whose you know, accent I can't understand and all of that, and we've all been through all that. So in that moment, is this essential or incidental? It's incidental. So that helps me to navigate it. And how do I know that's incidental? Because I know where my soul, my essence, what's important to me is. So this is how I navigate my day-to-day living. So in answer to your question about people drop off in my life, you know, the people that I hang out with now, like I love it, like, you know, my CrossFit community, which is a hugely important community in my life because I'm hanging out with like-minded people who have a vision They have a vision of aspirations for something better in their life. So when I hang out with them, I feel good. 
you know, I'm I do the quarter to six class. I'm up quarter past five into the class at quarter to six. I have my workout done. Okay, I'm privileged and blessed and honored and thank you to everybody who helps make that happen for me. Um so why do I do all that? Because I've clarified what's important. And when you clarify what's important, if there are people um you know, I was actually um, talking about this the other day on the, you know, I do a slot mindset mastery Monday on U105 with Frank Mitchell. And I was talking about this the other day. Um, how do, um, you know, how do you deal with, say, endings? His uh, his daughter got married. And uh, so I was saying to him, what was that like when, you know, the, everybody's gone and there's just you and your daughter in the house and you're about to walk her up the aisle and this is going to come to an end. So how do you deal with endings? And when you have emotional coping skills, you know how to do that. Um, When you give a meaning to it, which is a healthy one. In other words, this is a good chapter that's coming to a close. And even with death, even, you know, when my mum died, I had to process all of that. So because I have these skills, it helps me. It's not, it's not, this work is not about not feeling. I don't feel anything. This work is about processing the feelings that come. So when someone is in my company and it's not quite in alignment with what is important to me, I'll I'll take steps to deal with that because I know what's important now because I nearly died. Okay, you know, death was, here's, Here's death coming, Deirdre. You know, like I say, I was 56 and the biggest thing wasn't that I was going to die. The biggest challenge in that moment was not that I was going to die, that the prospect of death was looming a lot closer than I had anticipated. The biggest issue then was that I hadn't lived. Stress, the posh word for fear, had been driving me all my life just like my father before me. So now was the time for me to put everything I had learned about personal power and emotional intelligence, which I now call today emotional fitness, to the test. So I did. You know, cancer gave me the chance to say yes to the surgery and no to the chemotherapy and radiation. And it was the biggest no of my life. And so here's the thing. If that awful thing hadn't happened to me, and I often share this with my clients, I say, if my father hadn't died, we wouldn't be talking. So the question is, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is if when you, when life doesn't work out or the way you want it to, when you drop the friend in answer to your question, or when, um, you know, you don't get the job or whatever, 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 you know, I'll tell you a wee story, a wee quick story. You wouldn't be one for stories, would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so was somebody else who spoke in parables. <laughs> that's all. But I know this is how the mind works. The mind understands stories better than... So that's why we do it. Um, uh, there was once a Chinese farmer and he had a horse and the horse ran away. Okay. And the neighbours came and said, that is so bad. And he said... Maybe. So the next day the horse came back and it brought seven wild horses with it. And the neighbours came and said, that's really good. And the farmer said, maybe. Next day, the sun 
the agent got up on the horse and tried to break the horse and fell off and broke his leg. And the neighbours came and said, that is so bad. And the farmer said, maybe. The next day, the conscription soldiers came to the village to take away the young men. And they didn't take the son away because his leg was broken. So the moral of the story is that such is the tapestry of life that when it's all woven together, it's really impossible to say what's good and what's bad. So that's why I practice. You'll hear me saying it, I'll say it's all good. It's all good. Because even though it's not going the way you want it, when you come from that mindset, you are better able to deal with it. And that's as simple as that. Well, you said there about stress, so I think we we'll have to lift up the book. I'm oh, going oh. to call it the SSS. Yep. Uh, right, right, right. The SSS. Sean, all these poor multi-groups you're throwing at me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's called the Stress Solution System. And God, you didn't, I didn't know you'd short so. <laughs> Legs There's out. another way left. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Look at the red. Look, oh, Jesus, Sean. It's getting red. Fry an egg on that over there, boy. <laughs> so, yeah, this is my book. It's called Can You Believe It? Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. And I had a program running in my head that I couldn't write a book. I wanted to write a book. So, and this is what I tell my clients, you know, you want to write the book belongs in the 5% of your mind. That's where it lives. I want to write a book. I want to write a book. The 95% is the subconscious or unconscious. They're both the same thing. The subconscious mind that has all the references of all the red marks, of all the failed exams, of all the reasons why the teacher never reading your story out uh, or, you know, you're working class, working class people don't write books, sit and, you know, watch the TV and shut up and behave yourself, you know, um, all those things that were in what I call the black box recorder, the unconscious, subconscious mind that is there to protect me that says, no, you don't write a book. So when I... Um, when I, you know, started to do this work and things started to change and part of my journey was when I um, had the cancer and I had uh, had had the surgery and I'm sitting with 40 stitches here and it's December. I'm sitting in front of the fire and, and everybody's being really nice. My brother's coming up every day and lighting the fire. I think, oh, my God, I've died and gone to heaven here. What's going on? And uh, but at that point, um, I was uh, part of my training was in faster EFT, uh, emotionally focused transformation. And I was a master practitioner and Robert Smith uh, was my mentor. He's the creator of faster EFT and he was my mentor and he had um, circumstances had brought him to a place called Habilitat in in Hawaii. And it is a, a one of the top, if not the top, uh, drugs and alcohol rehabilitation unit in, in America. It's in Hawaii. And uh, so Robert had been there and he was interested in how the mind worked. And then he put together a team and I was heading up the team. And we were going to uh, to to do sessions on to learn, you know, the mind and how it works and et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine um, um, I was there in July and 
I was on the first cohort that went and there I am, Robert, myself and um, about 10 other, I think about maybe seven or eight practitioners. And we arrive in Habilitat in Hawaii and it's a three year program uh, for, um, you know, drugs and alcohol abuse. Powerful, powerful program. And uh, so um, Robert puts me at this stage, I'm a master practitioner, but, you know, I'm starting and, uh, you know, starting to be in front of cameras and do all that thing. So what does he do? He takes one of the uh, residents uh, there and uh, he says to me, right, Deirdre, do your thing. And he puts um, uh, two cameras behind me and two people behind me to watch. And I'm like, oh, my God. So here's Robin and Robert. Uh, Robin is and he's the resident. He's a native Hawaiian. So like it's funny for me to say, but he's got this weird accent. <laughs> so you can imagine that Robert sitting, Robin is sitting going, that is the weirdest accident. What accent? What's that woman saying? So anyway, we do the work. And there's just a tear uh, falls. And the way the work is. Uh, you know, without going into too much detail about it, I can help you to change something in your mind without me knowing it. If you've got that thing that you can't talk about, it's I don't go there. I, I say, and that's one of the things that I'll ask you, is there something that you've never told anybody? And you don't have to tell me, but I, in my mind, I know what's driving your life. Okay. So what I say to you is, is there something that um, you've never told anybody and you don't have to tell me? But you know it's there. And people will go, mm-hmm. So I said, let's, we'll go there. So then we go there and we do the work. So I had done this with Robin. And uh, there was just this one tear. And um, I know that when there is a tear, that, you know, that's a good sign. Uh, that means that we've, you know, broken through and that the truth can come out. The essence, your soul can come out. So that was okay. And... Uh, so then Robert interviewed Robin. And so we, I'm sitting listening to him and um, he tells the story and uh, of something that I will not talk about now because I honour his privacy. Um, but it was a hugely, hugely, um, and I had no idea, right? I had, did not know what the nitty gritty of what the problem was, but I didn't need to know. But he shared what it was. And I thought, wow. And... That was okay. So that's in July. We all go home and we make the decision. Robert says we're going to come back in January. We're going to come twice a year to Habilitat, uh, volunteer, do the work, and it's we learn. And so I go home in September, back in Ireland. I am diagnosed with cancer. And uh, so that's my journey then. So I have the surgery in December. I'm sitting in front of the fire. My my family are, you can imagine, that they're very um, concerned. They love me. They want me to have the chemo and radiation. They think, oh, my God, she's going to. They, nobody said that. Nobody ever said anything. But they're thinking, what is going to happen here? We have to get the sword. So in my mind, and it was not easy. I, I It was not easy. But... I was watching Facebook and I could see my friends were in Habilitat. They had gone back and I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to be heading up the team. And I was, and then I knew and I thought, I, I know what I'm going to do. And um, 
I went I went and got my hair done. I went to Brigine, Brigine King, good woman. Shout out to Brigine. Plug. And uh, <laughs> great hairdresser in the Sleeve Donald Hotel. And I went to Brigine and I said, I know what I'm going to do. And she was the first one to know. I said, I'm going, I'm going to Hawaii. So I went home and I booked my flight. And this is how it works, okay? So I booked my flight. Of course, the family is just breath held. And I'm going to Hawaii for 12 days. And I'm sure they were thinking, I've never asked, I must ask my sister what she was thinking, but I'm sure they were thinking, well, at least she'll go there and then she'll come home and we'll get it sorted. But anyway, so my brother drives me down to Belfast City Airport, first flight in the morning, Belfast to London, then London to Hawaii. And you can imagine the city airport, there's nobody there, it's dark, it's January. And uh, I go up to the desk and the girl says, we've overbooked the flight. And I just looking, okay. And in that moment, I thought, you mean I can go home? And, but my brother had left. There was nobody in the airport. It felt like there was nobody in the airport, only me. And I went, okay. And she said, um, it's our fault. We'll sort it. And what happened? I got upgraded. So I went, life supports you and life rewards you. I went to uh, Hawaii business class. And I called, uh, Jeff Nash is my good friend. He's the executive director of um, Habilitat. And uh, I called him and I said, I'm coming. Don't tell the rest of them. And he says, no problem. I'll pick you up at the airport. My sister took my stitches out. And you can imagine about seven stone. And because, uh, you know, uh, anyway. And I arrive. I, I really couldn't speak very much. Um as you can understand. And uh, so I get to Habilitat fit for nothing. But uh, I knew I was in the right place. I knew I was with like-minded people. And there was a part of me that knew that I had done the right thing. And I remember walking down onto the pier at Habilitat. I mean, the setting is beautiful. It is Hawaii. Um, and I walked down onto the pier and I looked up and put my head up and I felt the sun on my scar. And, you know, if vitamin D heals. I know all this now. And I looked up and I thought, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so anyway, I walked back up and um, I was greeted with Robert and all my friends and everyone. And what did they do immediately? They immediately started working on me. OK, working on me, doing my sessions to help me. And uh, about two days later, I'm walking down this open air corridor. It's a why they don't need, they don't, you know, everything's open air. And I'm walking down and here's Robin coming the other way. And he says, dearie, it's you. And I said, oh, Robin, it's you. And. He put his arms around me, which was against the rules, but he put his arms around me. He gave me a hug and he said, thank you, Deirdre. You gave me back my life. And I knew in that moment he had given me back mine. And that's why it's always about exchange. So I, that, you know, if that was the ending of a movie, it would be the credits would come up and it's, oh, la, la, la. It wasn't like that. I was bloody crapping myself. I was crapping myself. Every time I got a pain, I thought, 
oh my God, that's it now. That's it working through me. Right? Because the mind of what the mind does. So I knew I had to change the thinking. So I remember going into the library at Abilitat. I couldn't sleep. And I, I went into the library at Abilitat and I found this book. And it's the book was called How Did They Do That? I think that's what it was called. How Did They Do That? And each chapter was about people who had overcome uh, adversity of some sort. And I rationed myself. At night when, you know, the head would go, I would read I would read a chapter. One, I only allowed myself to read one chapter. Now that's it. Now I go to sleep. And then I used my technique, my tapping technique. Okay. And gradually, moment by moment, inch by inch, experience by experience, fearful thought by fearful thought, changing of the fearful thought. Okay. I developed my emotional fitness. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, I'm dying. And then I would go, well, actually, you're not. You're, are you dying now? No, you're not dying now. Okay. So what if you could live? Okay. Okay. So I, so I'm not dying now. Uh, okay. I live now and I'll just live this moment. And then I'll just live this moment and I'll look into your eyes and I'll be here now. Cause that's all we don't have. We, this morning's gone. We don't, we don't have this evening. All we have is now. So if I could just be here now, and if I could just be here now, and if I could just be here now. So that's what I started doing. And that book helped me. So then I thought, what if I could offer that to my clients? What if I could write a book? Okay. So that's how this was born. And this is called Can You Believe It? Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. And each chapter is the truth from a client or Robert, Robert Smith, my mentor, uh, Jeff Nash, the uh, director of Abilitat. We're all, we're a tribe. We, we, we think in the same way. So they're all in there and I'm in there. Mine, I don't know, it's chapter seven or something. Um, and it's called You're Not Dying Now. You're actually not dying now. You're actually living. So nobody knows when we're going to die. So let's live in the moment. So that is my book. Can you believe it? Ordinary People, Extraordinary Stories. And I am... Um, Where can you get the book? Amazon. Amazon. Um, and my... Yeah, or my website is dearmaguire.com, but it's just the Amazon link. And you can go there and get it. And I brought one... There's one for everyone in the audience. Sound copy. <laughs> <laughs> and but I wanted just to fin I, I I thought about this. This is just a wee book that I use. And I'm always people say, Well, what are you doing now? What are you learning? And when do you stop? You know, people, you know, people saying, Are you retiring yet? You know, like I'm a pensioner, what the hell? And I go, No, you know I've like, only got going. I'm only started. <laughs> Let's get this party started. You know, as one of my clients said to me, when I showed him the manual, showed him how to change it, showed him how he was doing it to himself and that you can, you can change it. And, you, and that's what he said to me, Deirdre, let's get this party started. <laughs> and I said, OK, so um, I just wanted to show this to you. This is typically, I hope I have it here. I hope I did it. Hope yeah. No OK. Your trade secrets are. Now, so this is what I was doing. We were talking about persistence. OK. 
And persistence is so important. And we so give up. I know it. I've done it loads and loads of times. I don't do it so much now because of this. And I thought, what if I could think of something that would get you to, yes, persistence. It's helped me. Now, I literally only, this is hot off the press. I haven't even got this into a document yet. I did this. Mark Burns, Golly. This is, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is the other day, okay? So if you can look at, okay, so the word is per, uh, persistence, P-E-R-S-I-S-T-E-N-C-E. So P is for progress, E, every day, R, regardless, full stop. S, shine in service. You guys know all about service because you're serving now, okay? Shine in service. And T is for thrive every day, no matter what challenges you meet, because every day is a gift. I like it. <laughs> it reminds me, you know, when you used to, like you write something that'd be in your, your mind, like just one word, like you know the way if you're doodling or you're on the phone and yes. you're minding one word. But do you think persistence over discipline? Well, they're pretty or much the same. same thing. And if you don't have them, you have nothing. But just even you saying that there, like even we talked about, you know, maybe you're going to school and that there. I could turn around and say, right, let's focus on these negative, you know, as in, you got these three wrong. Brilliant. We can improve on it. But then I could do that for a week and go, that's that sorted. But it's not. No. Unless you're persistent with it and you do it every day, every week, and keep that going to make that change. So, may I ask what age you are? Me? Yeah. 38. So for 38 years, you've been living a certain way. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to change it overnight, yep. but remember the tipping point. Remember the tipping point when it gets scary, when you, you're you all alone, when you think I'm wired up, you know, when you're, you know, a family member says, do you think, do you think I have enough problems with the likes of you coming around? When you feel that feeling that you are alone, you are not you are not alone. You are, I mean, there's a 12 step. You are no, we, you are no longer alone. Okay. You're not alone. We are changing the world. We are evolving to the next step, the next stage. Okay. And we're not going to get it all right. But, you know, I could go, I could talk for, I could talk for weeks no here. No way. I could talk <laughs> no for weeks. Way. Watching your language, pay attention to your languaging. Okay. This is another key part of it, a key component. Um, and I and I often say this, um, Mark Toner is my nephew and he is an amazing young man and there's that's a whole other story. You need to get him on here. And he has his own podcast, the Mark Toner podcast, and he is in the middle of having a baby this these two, three days, whatever is amazing. Um, Wait a minute now. <laughs> I, I don't mind you plugging a hairdresser in the same dollar. Plugging a, no, a, a, plug a man, man having a baby. <laughs> plugging our podcast. <laughs> it's always about exchange. <laughs> so when you understand how it all works together and you understand languaging, you know, that's what I was going to tell you because he, when I went on his way back, and he he was swearing and I was like, I'm a common educated girl. 
I went to boarding school, okay? So some of our previous ones may not be good for you. <laughs> and I am no, I'm learning. And uh, so when he started, I went, "Oh my God, Mark, uh, do you have to? Do we have to say that?" So now I'm pretty good at it, okay? So I can say, in in, in other words, we give meaning to everything. So when I, when when I say the word "fuck," if you get upset by it, that's yours. Take ownership, okay? But I would rather you said "fuck" than wrong, okay? Watch what you're saying, okay? Pay attention to your languaging. What are you saying? Two places. What you're saying inside your head, you know, what are you saying to yourself? What are you saying inside there? You know, when I, if I dropped something, I would say, oh, you silly bitch. You know, I, I know where I heard it from. I heard my mother used to say that to herself. Who, why would you ever say that to yourself? Okay, so now if I drop something, I say, oh, you wee pet. You wee pet, okay? The, the ultimate work the really, the core of the work is about integrating you back into the world by loving the little you, the child, the child who was scared, the child who got the red mark, the child who got beaten for stealing money out of the mission box, uh, the child who. <laughs> 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 Just in case you think Just I'm already joking. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the, the beliefs that you downloaded back then uh, when you had no power. You were quite powerless. You were dependent on these 12 giants. So what the journey is about is about going back there and loving that little you. You know, love that little you, that child, that beautiful child. And what we say to ourselves in our, it's a very dangerous neighborhood, what we say in our own heads. So when you can change that and you start to nurture that child. Nurture that. You know, one of the things, one of the simple things is I say, you know, get a photograph of you. Some people can't even do it. Some people can't even bear looking at a photograph of them as a child. And that child is beautiful. And it is you who, you reparent yourself. That's what you're actually doing. You're, the needs that were not met by the Twelve of Giants, uh, we now meet them ourselves. And the more we do that, you know, the better our relationships are because we're not unconsciously, see, we're looking for those needs to be met all over the place. All right. And nobody can do it. Not even the best lover. Not even. <laughs> I love the way you looked at me. <laughs> Obviously spoke to the message. <laughs> and you know, when, when you're you're saying that and and being a bit nicer to ourselves about ourselves yes. and speak to ourselves, like yes. when you introduced yourself as world class, I love that because I actually always say to Sean, I'll never other people let other people undersell you, never undersell yourself. But it 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 is that and being that wee bit nicer to yourself and. Sometimes I listen to them and I'm like, you know, do we get caught up sometimes too much on, on, like, I don't, I don't know whether that's just me because of privilege. I don't have like a traumatic childhood. I had a happy childhood. Money was hard and things happened and all, but I never really get too caught up on, on, on where I was from. It gave me a good chip on the shoulder that I, I drive to go on and do things, but at the same time, I always be. Like what's now, you know, what's coming, what to be positive, you know, and we're not always positive because I can be a most negative person, but I, I, I try to snap myself out of that because I, I have changed and I've changed. If you, 
when you start doing things like this and you start reading things mm-hmm. and you start speaking to people like yourself and mm-hmm. the podcast we've had and the change, mm-hmm. the change in a year from the two people sitting here, from the podcast, the conversations we've had, the growth, the awareness, is you wouldn't recognize, yeah. you wouldn't think the same, you don't process things the same. No. So when you do have a bit of learning, you do have a bit of awareness, you do change. So some people there that might be just a thing, some people are sitting there and we're like, they're full of shit, I, this is the way I am, that's protecting them because they want to stay where yeah. they're scared to yeah. try and change the way they are. But I would say to people, if you're not happy in your life, what are you scared of changing? What, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and the people that don't, want to try that or, or do that but we're going to put the book up we'll put the link up I really enjoyed it. I, I feel like we could I can see this on Instagram later on then oh absolutely yeah, oh I get God. that sorted <laughs> out you're going to type it out <laughs> <laughs> look how many brackets you get Mark Twain that little yeah. bit oh, just going to stick it up one of the wee nuggets that just come up with earlier on there with yourself <laughs> well I do there's if you go to my website deardomguire.com I have um, you know free stuff the only thing I would say is you can't use the same word twice but look I look I loved it I I, I feel like we could we could literally sit here a couple hours just just spitting the shit exchanging and and having the chat but I've loved it and I hope people take something from it and uh, I hope they reach out and they grab your book and I'm going to give and I would say this anyway this sounds bad I would say this anyway that I'm going to read your book and not if it wasn't, but actually, I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I would still say it. <laughs> but this time, I'm going to read it. But now <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> but, Deirdre, I want to thank you very much for coming mm-hmm. up. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been some of it, some of it now. Your views, I, I share some of your views on, on that some people might find harder to believe in, the, in that alcoholism is a secondary thing. I, if I, if I, I do a, believe that, and some of the mindset, some of it maybe not my my mindset, but I've re- I've actually really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it. the one thing I would say is it's good to have someone I can talk. Eh? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> you need your podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. I just want to say thank you very much. It's really been a privilege and an honour to be here. This work is always about exchange and you know how I learned that. And what I would always say, you know, and this came about, I was doing, I do corporate work and that's where I would really like to go, um, you know, into, you know, you were saying about the fire service. Mm-hmm. I've already, you know, done some work there and um, I would love to be able to um, help people in the corporate world. Um, but uh, I was doing a, a corporate talk uh, you know, a few months ago and at the end of it, you know, I'm always thinking like, what, what would I finish this with? And what came out and when you start to trust yourself, you know, um, like this morning, like when I was thinking, what am I going to talk about? And I just hand it over and say, let me be an instrument. Let me be an instrument. And look what came out. And uh, so, um, but I say this, if I had one breath left, and you think, Jesus, dear, <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> if I had one breath left, what would I say? And it would be this. Oh, cut off. No, no I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I had one breath left, this is what it would be. Be nice to you. Be nice to yourself. We're so hard on ourselves. Be nice to you. Be kind to you. What is the kind thing to do? What is the kind thing to say to yourself? And if you only started with that, today I'm going to start being nicer to me, you know, treating myself a wee bit better. 
going to bed a wee bit earlier so to get a good night's sleep. Um, you know, setting one of the, putting one of the drinks down if you're drinking or whatever. I want to start being nicer to me. And then all you have to do after that is take the first next step. It's all you can ever take. If it feels like, wow, oh, that's too big. First next step. That's all you have to do. And if your first next step is watching another of the podcast, go to dearmaguire.com. There's a free thing that you can download and read. That's it. And then trust something else will happen. Something else will happen. When I went to Hawaii, I went for 12 days, remember? I stayed away for eight months. I went to Australia. I went with Robert. I helped him. I nurtured myself every day. I went to America. Eight months later, I came back. And it took all of that every day just going, I'm okay now. I'm okay now. I'm okay now. I'm okay now. And now I'm okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. Deidre, thank you very much. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>